We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast that focuses on the intersection between Torah and Judaism, where Torah influences our understanding of pop culture and where pop culture influences our appreciation and understanding of Judaism, Jewish culture, and Jewish practice. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, joined by my X-Wing fighter, my Jedi Knight, my young Padawan. Red 5 reporting, Rabbi Michael Knopf, here and, for duty. <laughs> and today, uh, we are going to be discussing Episode 9 of the Star Wars Skywalker Saga, the end of nine films, The Rise of Skywalker. So we're going to preface before we start with a big, 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 huge spoiler alert, spoiler warning. Uh, we saw this the minute it came out, uh, but if you have not seen it yet, do not listen. Uh, it is your fault if you listen after this at this point. Mike, do you want to give us a rundown? Uh, try to help us understand what exactly happened in this movie? Sure. So uh, just to reiterate what Jesse said, huge spoilers follow right now. So if you uh, do not want the movie spoiled, you want to go in spoiler-free, pause the podcast now, pick it up, join us after you see the movie. Okay, I think we've given them enough time and enough warning. So uh, we're going to dive right into it. Uh, and... I'll preface also by saying, uh, and, I, and I, I assume that you felt the same way, Jesse, Jesse this movie is a lot. Uh, so there's, there's a lot going on. It's a lot. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the film starts, uh, of course, the, the Last Jedi, the uh, episode eight, the previous uh, installment in the saga, uh, concluded with, uh, uh, with the resistance um, uh, more or less decimated, uh, led by uh, General Leia Organa, formerly Princess Leia, uh, with, uh, with, with Rey, uh, the new Force-sensitive uh, trainee of Luke Skywalker, uh, coming in to uh, help save what is left of the Resistance um, after, uh, uh, after Kylo Ren, the new uh, villain of the series, who uh, is uh, the child of Han Solo and uh, Princess Leia. Uh, uh, ben Solo, who becomes Kylo Ren, uh, uh, becomes supreme leader of the new of the First Order after having killing, uh, killed Supreme Leader Snoke in in the Last Jedi, uh, and so uh, the Force the the um, uh, the Rise of Skywalker picks up uh, after the conclusion of that chapter. The Resistance uh, um, is uh, is uh, in a uh, in a very challenged place. Uh, the First Order is Ascendant and Kylo Ren is Supreme Leader. But um, as the opening crawl tells us, there has been uh, a, a mysterious message being broadcast throughout the galaxy that turns out is none other than Emperor Palpatine, uh, the uh, uh, otherwise known as Darth Sidious, uh, the uh, big bad of the uh, original trilogy of films and indeed the prequel trilogy of films, uh, who... Uh, 
was and this uh, is not a major spoiler right that we right. heard his laugh in the teaser trailer that came out many months ago right we just didn't know um exactly how he was going to be brought back uh or uh the form in which he was going to be brought back or the role he was going to play in this film and so that's actually revealed uh, somewhat early on in the movie, uh, in the opening crawl, we hear that, uh, that, that his voice is being broadcast throughout the galaxy uh, and that uh, Kylo Ren is on a hunt for, uh, for, for where the broadcast is coming from uh, because he perceives it as a threat to his leadership. He finds Emperor Palpatine, uh, who has been uh, um, uh, revitalized, uh, cloned. We're not exactly sure. It's a little bit confusing how this happens, but um, he's been brought back to life uh, by some uh, some dark magic, dark force magic, uh, on a, uh, a Sith planet. Uh, One of the and... many things that's pretty confusing about the film. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and uh, he's been brought back to life. Uh, he tells uh, Kylo Ren that he's been responsible for the rise of the First Order and for uh, every uh, voice that's been inside his head, including uh, uh, Supreme Leader Snoke's, and uh, including Darth Vader, who's uh, Kylo Ren's grandfather, uh, formerly Anakin Skywalker, uh, Princess Leia's father, uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, says that um, uh, that he can give Kylo Ren uh, everything that he ever wanted uh, if uh, if only he destroys Rey, uh, who is uh, the other significant threat to uh, to, to Kylo Ren's power. Uh, and so uh, there is there are sort of like uh, parallel competing quests um, uh, to, uh, to 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 find and destroy uh, 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 Palpatine uh, before Kylo Ren can destroy Rey uh, and for Kylo Ren to destroy Rey before she can destroy uh, Palpatine. Uh, and that kind of sets off the quest. Rey has been uh, continuing her training as a Jedi with uh, with with. With General Leia, with Princess Leia, uh, who, uh, of course, as many people know, is played by Carrie Fisher, who uh, uh, tragically died just before the uh, the release of the previous installment, The Last Jedi. Uh, and so she is included in this movie uh, with some previously recorded uh, uh, scenes from, uh, from from previous movies and, and edited it in with some uh, digital wizardry, which, by the way, Jesse... Um, I thought it was pretty great. You know, I was kind of skeptical about how they were going to pull that off. And and I thought they did a really nice job with uh, with with Carrie Fisher's role. I think they did. Uh, if you know, then it's clear some of the dialogue that she has with Ray, some of the dialogue she has with the resistance. Uh, it, it's pretty clear why it's odd or oddly worded. It's because they're fitting in. Uh, previous dialogue from The Force Awakens from The Last Jedi that ended up on the cutting room floor that they're reusing. Right. If I if I went into this movie knowing nothing, knowing you know knowing nothing about the movie, knowing nothing about Carrie Fisher's death, etc., I'm not sure if I even would have picked up on any of that. Um, but maybe I would have. I don't know. It's hard to hard to imagine what I what I don't know having known it. I, I kept on thinking though of a, a, a scene from uh, from The Simpsons. Where they're filming Radioactive Man and uh, and and Millhouse is Fallout Boy, uh, and he leaves the movie, and so they just uh, piece together scenes that he's already filmed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was 
it, it did have resonance of that, but I think that they still did a, a good job, nevertheless. Anyway, so Ray is training to be a Jedi. That episode, with... by the way, available to stream on Disney Plus. That's right, Disney Disney Plus here to uh, control all of your eyeballs. So, uh, and also to, uh, to to mine all of your uh, childhood loves uh, for for continuing uh, an ongoing and indefinite profit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, so Ray, uh, um, trains to be a Jedi. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, as these two kind of stories converge, um, she, uh, uh, continues to encounter Kylo Ren, uh, who continues to reveal to her, uh, information about her lineage, which we were, uh, presumed to have had settled in the last movie uh, where uh, Kylo Ren tells Rey um, that her parents were nobodies, that they were filthy junk traders who sold her for drinking money. Uh, and uh, we learn uh, in this movie that that was not the full story, that you know, Star Wars has a way of saying, you know, it was true from a certain point of view. Uh, and the certain point of view here is a pretty major uh, twist uh, that, uh, that, that Rey um, is actually the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine, uh, which uh, which uh, uh, stokes within her this uh, this this challenging inner conflict of her fear of herself, her fear of her own power, her fear of her uh, turning to the dark side, um, and then uh, as the story hurdles toward her conclusion, she has to confront uh, that reality. She confronts uh, Palpatine, um, and it's probably not surprising to most of the people out there that uh, that 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 she. Uh, and this may be the surprise, but along with uh, Kylo Ren, who has kind of a Return of the Jedi Vader moment of uh, of of, uh, of maybe repentance. We can get into that a little bit later, Jesse, uh, and um, and and helps destroy uh, uh, Palpatine, uh, and then uh, uh, therefore destroying uh, the the threat of the First Order and restoring uh, peace and justice to the galaxy. Um, any plot you feel like I'm missing there? Um, no, I think so far there, there were some subplots, uh, tangential aspects that I don't necessarily think are essential to the storytelling of the film. Right, that's true. And, and we can get into our thoughts about the film in general before we uh, dive into some of the Jewish themes that we were thinking about exploring. So uh, maybe that's a good place and, and, and we might uh, touch on some of those other you know, subplots and, and aspects of the story. Of course, there are other important characters in the story. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the cast is rounded out by uh, Oscar Isaac, who plays Poe, the Resistance pilot. Um, uh, John Boyega, who plays Finn, the former stormtrooper turned resistance hero. Um, uh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose Tico, uh, who I think was um, tragically underused, misused in, uh, in, in this episode. Um, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that J.J. Abrams uh, and company uh, of this new trilogy is going to have to atone for um, is underusing, misusing uh, Kelly Marie Tran, and also underusing, misusing uh, Maz Kanata, who's played by Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, um, I think wonderfully played, terribly written. Um, but I'm going to stop there. And Jesse, you want to uh, share what your your thoughts were on on the movie or aspects of the movie? Um, sure. I, I think um, the movie was a lot, as you said. Um, 
I enjoyed parts of it. I was frustrated by parts of it. I was confused by parts of it. Uh, I love parts of it. Um, and it could be because it was pretty clear that this was the final episode, episode nine, the end of the Skywalker saga, that you held it to a very high standard. You wanted to make sure all the loose ends were wrapped together, uh, tied in a perfect bow. That wasn't necessarily the case. I did love that there was some red meat that they threw to fans. You know, Lando Calrissian came back. Right. Was there really any reason for Lando to come back? No, it was fun to see <laughs> Billy D. Williams, who we haven't seen him on screen as Lando since Return of the Jedi. Uh, you saw... He's 82 years old, Jesse. Yeah, 82 years young. Young, uh, yes. That's you, true. you saw more of Han Solo in a um, memory that Kylo Ren has when he uh, turns good, he lets go of the the Sith of the dark side and returns to the the powerful light side of the Force uh, through help of Carrie Fisher, with, through help of his mother Leia Organa, which is how he ends up dying. She ends up dying, at least in the film. Uh, and you see more of Luke Skywalker uh, as a whatever they call their Jedi, the dead Jedi visions that end up taking place. Force ghosts. The force ghosts. Um, that happens as well. Uh, and, and I think that's important to note, really, because I'm not sure if any of those characters would appear in depth in this film if it wasn't for Carrie Fisher dying before The Last Jedi came out. And the reason I, I, I say that is because my understanding was they saw this trilogy as really uh, putting together... One episode, episode seven for Han Solo's completion of his story. One episode, episode eight for uh, Luke Skywalker's completion of his story. And then this was going to be Leia Organa's completion of her story. And because they were only able to use previously filmed dialogue, I think they brought back Lando, they brought back Luke, and they brought back Han to fill in some of those gaps. Uh, there were also some great uh, red meat. If you're a diehard fan, at the very end, when uh, Luke says, you know, a thousand, what does he say? A thousand Jedis. A thousand generations of Jedi live in you now. Yes. And, and you hear the voices of, of the previous Jedi. Uh, you hear uh, both James Earl Jones' voice who played the voice of Darth Vader, but you also hear Hayden Christensen, who That's played right. the young Anakin Skywalker. You hear the voice of Samuel Jackson as Mace Windu, uh, Ewan McGregor, and Alec Guinness, both and have Alec their Guinness. voices in as Obi-Wan. You have Frank Oz as Yoda. Uh, you have Liam Neeson as uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. But you also, if you, you have a really deep cut, if you were a fan mm -hmm. of any of the Star Wars cartoons, you have Ashley Eckstein making a, uh, her voice. She was uh, Ahsoka Tano. And you have Freddie Prince Jr., who is the voice of Canon Jarrus. Uh, he's part of the, the Rebels series. And so that's a really deep cut for fans. Uh, I love that. I, I, I love bringing uh, <clears throat> bringing really the whole Star Wars galaxy together in that regard. Uh, I did too. I mean, it, you know, the, you you brought up Han Solo, and and that was actually one of the few truly surprising things about this movie to me was 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 uh, was Harrison Ford's cameo uh, uh, in it. I, I thought I thought that was uh, I thought that was great. You know, there was there was little, in some sense, that was really surprising. 
about the movie. I I actually think that like the you know the the way in which Palpatine came back um, was not particularly interesting or surprising. Um, I think that uh, the the reveal of of Ray's lineage uh, as uh, as as Palpatine's uh, descendant. Um, was surprising in a sense, although once they, you know, once the movie began, uh, they were kind of telegraphing it pretty clearly, and, uh, and and so it wasn't an actual, you know, take your breath away moment when it happened on the level I imagine that it was in 1980 uh, uh, when uh, Darth Vader reveals that he's Luke's father, right, and, and you know, uh, really kind of one of the... Um, great cinematic surprises uh in 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 movie history um and and i think that that's what they were going for here i'm just not sure they really landed it well i think Um, in some ways that this trilogy is a reiteration of what happened in the original trilogy right if the big reveal was not only right that darth vader was luke and leia's father and you had the descendants of the evil sith lord vader were righteous and good and the leaders of the rebel alliance similarly here what we find out is even though leia was good her son with han ben solo kylo ren ended up turning evil and you had to expect if you were using that same format if ray is the new leader is she's going to be the new jedi master and she is the one who uses the force for good then of course her descendants had to be evil as well because it's all about polar opposites and being pulled from one extreme to the other right the other the other thing that i actually found to be maybe you didn't but i found to be kind of a surprising reveal and and really beautifully done you know from a visual standpoint was uh was a a scene of luke training leia uh to be a jedi which was uh which was a a plot reveal uh later in the story which i guess you know in a sense makes sense because leia is training uh ray at the beginning of the movie but you never really have uh, a clear uh, articulation in in these three films uh, before this one, uh, that uh, that that Leia has actually been formally trained in the Force. She uses the Force in the Last Jedi, uh, what uh, people sometimes call the uh, the Mary Poppins or Superman Leia when she flies back into the into the uh, ship that has uh, that where the bridge has been uh, blown apart and she's blown into space. Um, but uh, but but it you know that movie implies that she, you know, is kind of instinctively using the force in an untrained way. And what, uh, and what the rise of Skywalker does is it, uh, is it reveals that no, she was actually trained by Luke to be a Jedi. Uh, but she gave up the path of the Jedi when she saw, um, uh, uh, what her, what her son would become. Well, I think there's a lot of, there's a term that, um, sci-fi fanboys use retconning um it's a very popular term and what it means is really um you retroactively um make the storyline consistent right you retroactively fix inconsistencies and so it's pretty clear that the reason why the flashback happens is because ray is given leia's lightsaber 
J.J. Abrams really wants Rey to use Leia's lightsaber, but we had never even heard that Leia had a lightsaber. She's only having a lightsaber if she was trained as a Jedi. And so this flashback shows us, and that's where the CGI was actually very good to, to yeah. show a young Luke and a young Leia. It shows us, oh, of course she had a lightsaber because she was trained as a Jedi by her brother. And so now that supposedly fixes this and Rey could use her lightsaber, Leia's lightsaber. I found that there was a lot of retconning going on. Um, partially because J.J. Abrams was really responsible for the storyline for Episode 7 for The Force Awakens. Ryan Johnson was pretty much entirely responsible for the storyline for Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Mike, you and I feel differently about Episode 8. You loved it. Um, I, when I first saw it, really didn't like it. Um, I have to say... When I rewatched it a couple times and I just rewatched it again in anticipation for episode nine, I liked it more. Uh, but it's clear that Ryan Johnson's intention was to go on a divergent path, a very different path than what J.J. Abrams had set up by killing Snoke right away in the, you know, uh, not even uh, well, the final right, battle. Right, right, right away, right away is a little bit extreme. It, was it like, wasn't the know. final battle that Snoke was, <laughs> was killed. Uh, the final battle was on, on Crate, and that involved... Um, Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker, um, but the, he, Ryan Johnson decided, oh, I'm going to throw him away. He's not the important big baddie. Uh, Kylo Ren should be that person. And then when J.J. Abrams returns for Episode Nine, he actually had an intention that Snoke was going to be this big bad guy. And so, how do we fix that? Maybe Snoke was going to be revealed as Darth Sidious, or maybe it was supposed to be that he was just the puppet and Palpatine was the puppet master all along. But with Snoke killed, you couldn't go that route. So I think there was retconning. And you just had to accept, based on the opening crawl, that oh, Palpatine's alive. And it gives it no explanation of how or why Palpatine is alive. Um, we just have to accept it. Where was Palpatine during episode seven? Where was he during episode eight? Where was he before that? Was right. he just pulling the strings all along? Uh, maybe, but if he was, then why did Kylo Ren only hear him in this film? Why didn't he hear his voice prior to that? Well, listen, I, I think that I think that one way of looking at what J.J. Abrams was doing here is retconning. I think another way, you can look at episode seven and eight um, uh, as you know, all laying the groundwork for the kind of for the, for the for the kind of story or for the conclusion of the story that's being told in episode nine. You know, and I think that they, you know, they they first of all, you know, J.J. Abrams definitely telegraphed uh, um, that Ray had, you know, uh, special parentage or grandparentage uh, ancestry in episode seven. Uh, but Ryan, Ryan, Johnson, Ryan Johnson blew that up. Well, he didn't. He did, but uh, but he also, you know, he also uh, leaned pretty heavily into uh, Ray's strong connection with the dark side in uh, in, in episode eight. Um, you know, we, I, what I I honestly think actually that uh, that uh, that they had um, a pretty good sense of the arc of the trilogy uh, from the beginning. And despite what Ryan Johnson may or may not say, I think he he you know, he had kind of marching orders to a degree of where the story needed to go and what some of the backstory was that, uh, that he was working with. Um, but I honestly think this is, um, you know, this, we, this is a debatable point, but I honestly think that, uh, that what we're talking about here is, 
um, about Ryan Johnson's strength as a storyteller and J.J. Abrams' weakness as a storyteller. Um, I think Ryan Johnson um, told a really uh, solid, uh, well-crafted, um, compelling story that, that, that moved the characters forward. Um, and, uh, and, and JJ Abrams, I think just didn't stick the landing. I think that, that, that everything that happened in this movie could have happened uh, seamlessly in a way from, uh, episode eight. Um, but I think that, I think that JJ Abrams didn't stick the landing. He did. It was fine. And I, and I, you know, listen, uh, making movies is hard in general. I'm not a great storyteller myself. Uh, but, um, so I don't envy the task that JJ Abrams had here. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but I, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, the, the Ray's ancestry, um, uh, you know, the, there were loose threads from, uh, the last Jedi that, uh, that, um, that JJ Abrams didn't pick up on, but, but easily, but tried to right? like the, you know, how the, you know, the resistance, there was little resistance left and, you know, Poe hints at that at a couple places, but it's not really woven in well, um, but I think it could have been. And so that therefore when all of these people show up, all these other fighters show up at the, uh, in, in the, in the final act of, of, of episode nine, um, it could have uh, landed with much more emotional resonance. So anyway, I, I mean, all this is to say, you know, I, I, I think that um, I'm not sure that there was as much retconning as, uh, as, you know, kind of the critical world is, um, is saying, um, I think that, uh, a lot of it, you know, is, is, um, uh, is just, you know, Ryan Johnson told a really strong, compelling story and JJ Abrams, um, didn't pick up the baton quite as well and, and, and stick the landing. That's my, that's my take on it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't Although, think Although, that... I mean, right, you and I feel differently about The Last Jedi. Um, I only want to defend J.J. Abrams uh, because I thought there were some people who thought that The Force Awakens was just a replica of A New Hope. I love The Force Awakens. I, I love how exciting it was. I thought he did a perfect job with The Force Awakens. He was thrown into a, a tough situation here. He wasn't even supposed to... Uh, be responsible for writing or directing this film. Colin Trevorrow, who was the director of Jurassic World, was brought on in August 2015 to direct this film, to write the script. He left uh, because of um, b- because of uh, creative differences with Kathleen Kennedy and with Lucas Films. And they didn't know what to do. This was right after there were mixed reviews of The Last Jedi. And so they brought on J.J. Abrams to save the day. Right. I mean, we don't know a lot about uh, the, you know, so, so some of what you said is, is uh, are, you know, are, are unimpeachable fact, right? That, that uh, Colin Trevor was supposed to do episode nine. And at some point uh, after The Last Jedi or, or, um, or maybe even before The Last Jedi was even released, um, that there was a there was a change up that happened, um, but we're not sure if it's because of you know mixed feelings, mixed reviews of of the Last Jedi, and and JJ was brought in. He was brought in to save the day because they you know had a deadline to finish the movie and uh, uh, um, a self imposed deadline, but a deadline nevertheless to finish the movie, uh, and they needed to put it in capable hands. Um, but we're not exactly sure, and we don't know. The direction that Colin Trevor would have taken it, and I and I wonder if one of the issues here, and you know, I I have to go back and kind of do the research on this, but I don't remember when um, 
uh, when, when the new trilogy of films was first announced, uh, that they made a, a, a large deal of, you know, this being the definitive conclusion of, of, you know, what they're now calling the Skywalker saga. Um, I think that that was um, a, 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 you know, marketing language uh, that was uh, put on this film, maybe even after The Last Jedi didn't perform so well, because I think that, you know, had The Last Jedi performed to their hopes and expectations um, and didn't get some of the fan backlash that it got, um, who knows if Episode Nine would have been the last in this uh, series of, of films. Um, they may have uh, continued on. I think that they also, you know, got cold feet with uh, with the underperformance of Solo. Uh, you know, so there's there's a there, there's a lot of uh, disturbances in the Force uh, with this latest iteration of Star Wars. Um, and um, and so I, I wonder I wonder about about the future. I think that one of the problems that I have, I, I loved the Force Awakens. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun, and I realized the challenges of what J.J. Abrams had to do there. Uh, there was some retconning there, too, in a, in a sense. I mean, he had to kind of appease a, a very disappointed fan base who had been um, very, uh, very put off by the prequel trilogy um, and the special editions of the original trilogy before that. Um, so wanted to kind of bring Star Wars back to its roots. But I think, and I've, I've read this in the kind of critical take on The Rise of Skywalker, and I think that there's a fair point here, that one of the things that this movie especially, but also The Force Awakens to a degree, suffers from, um, Last Jedi a little bit less so, but um, is, a, is a lack of imagination. You know, that there's, there's, there's not a willingness to take the story in, in really new and unpredictable directions um, uh, whereas, you know, George Lucas, uh, um, at least in the first two Star Wars movies, um, and I, and I, you know, part of me, when, when the dark side creeps in, um, I, I wonder, you know, is, is everything, you know, um, just an attempt to catch the high that, uh, that everyone felt and feels about the Empire Strikes Back. You know, the first movie was a cultural phenomenon, the Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, defied expectations and uh, turned something good and made it uh, incredible. Um, and uh, and been, you know, at some level, everything since then um, has been you know trying to to recapture that same spirit um, to varying degrees of uh, of success. Um, but uh, you know, and and that's something I think that we can get into here, Jesse, is um, is the the role of you know nostalgia and legacy in star wars to kind of think about you know the 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 values and meaning of this on a meta level um uh is you know are are we you know are 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 what star wars fans really you know constantly looking for is the you know make star wars great again uh kind of thing whereas you know star wars may have been great at one time but the only way to keep making star wars great is to do something new with star wars well, I think um, two things. I think JJ, that's what JJ Abrams does. That's what he is good at. He's good at nostalgia. He um, also relaunched the Star Trek franchise uh, a couple years before he did The Force Awakens. And I think for hardcore fans, they liked that red meat. I see that more in the relationship between the original cast and the new cast and that sort of passing of the torch that takes place with 
Han and Luke and Leia to Finn to Poe and to Ray. So I see that the legacy is not always about holding on to the past. Although I have to say when Leia is using Luke's old X-Wing fighter, uh, it, it's, it was a little bit of here, let's just give you legacy. Here's let's give you nostalgia. But it very much was an attempt throughout the trilogy, I believe, to pass on the lessons of the old generation to the new generation. Throughout the film, I was trying to figure out what does it mean, the rise of Skywalker? And and what does that title really mean? And you don't figure it out until the very last seconds of the film. Uh, uh, The whole time, I thought the rise of Skywalker was going to be about Kylo Ren and how he finally gives up and lets go of the dark side. As I said before, it takes Leia, his mother, giving her life in order to push the light side, the the force for good back onto him. But he's a solo. He's And she's an Organa. Organa. They're actually, neither of them are Skywalkers, even though she really is a Skywalker. He never becomes a Skywalker. The rise of Skywalker is really when Rey, who doesn't know her last name and doesn't want to be a Palpatine when she becomes, when she realizes that is her family's last name takes on the last name Skywalker at the very end of the film. When somebody asks her, when she goes back to Tatooine goes back to the moisture farm where Luke was raised by his uncle and uh, a passerby says, what's your name? And she says, Ray, she says, Ray who? And she says, Ray Skywalker. And yeah, I think she looks there's... off in the distance for a while. Uh, and I you know, have to imagine that that old woman is wondering, you know, who or what is she looking at for, for quite that length of time? But she ends up seeing uh, force ghosts of, uh, of Luke and Leia um, uh, and, and then says Skywalker. And I think that that's really the, the legacy, that the legacy is carried on to her, uh, even if it's not by blood, even if they aren't her blood relatives. It's the idea that the, sometimes the family that we choose for ourselves is more powerful than our blood family, than our biological family. Uh, the community that we build, the friends that we make. But with the idea of the the name, I think is also powerful. It says in Midrash Tanhuma that a person has three names. The name that they are given by their parents, the name that people call them, and the name that they make for themselves in the world. And the idea that the name that you're given by your parents is supposed to be the catalyst to help you make a name for yourself in the world. It's that to me more so than anything else speaks to legacy. How does Ray carry on the Skywalker legacy by taking on their name? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I thought that, uh, you know, cause I think that the movie was, was, was linking uh, Leia, you know, to that Skywalker legacy too, and, and regarding her as a Skywalker. And so um, when, you know, when, when, when Leia connects with, uh, with, with Kylo Ren or reconnects with Kylo Ren um, and, uh, and, and, and she ends up dying in that process, um, that's where Skywalker rises in him. Um, and so I do think that in a way, uh, your, 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 your initial um, sense of where the movie was going to go with it was, was correct. You know, I think it, in some sense it's a stretch, um, uh, but uh, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, I mean this is not just true of the rise of Skywalker, but in a sense, like all the all the films, you know, do a um, do a disservice to 
um, to the heroic Bail Organa, the adoptive uh, uh, father, uh, parents of, of, of Leia, um, who really, I think, give her her you know, rebellious and, and fighting spirit. Um, they link her back to her Skywalker legacy, which, of course, is, uh, is, uh, is, is her father, Anakin, who becomes uh, Darth Vader. Um, but Skywalker does rise in, in, in him, and then, and then, of course, it, it rises with, with Rey. Um, you know, and, and I think that there is something to, to be said um, there, Jesse. And I think it also goes to what uh, you know, Luke says, actually, that very, that very thing to, uh, to Rey, or Luke's force ghost, I guess I should say, says that very thing to Rey, that, um, uh, you know, that, that we're not necessarily defined uh, by our ancestry. We're defined by the, by the path we choose to take for ourselves and the uh, company we choose to keep and the things we choose to fight for. Um, and, uh, and that's, and that's certainly, um, uh, significant. I mean, the Torah itself struggles with that idea, right? Uh, in some, uh, cases it says, uh, you know, that, uh, God is right. That God, uh, um, transfers the sin of the parents onto the children. Uh, and so there is a sense in which we do, um, struggle with, uh, um, uh, especially if we have uh, painful or challenging um, or even evil uh, in in our in our in our past and our ancestry, um, that does uh, you know invariably get passed on to us. And many of us um, uh, struggle with pushing past that and overcoming it. Um, but uh, but but the Torah also says in other in other cases that. Um, uh, that uh, that that parents should not be put to death for the sins. Uh, children should not be put to death for the sins of their parents. Um, uh, so that uh, so that, in other words, you know, we have each of us has uh, has has uh, the freedom to choose the direction that that we're going to take. Um, and it may be, you know, th- that freedom uh, is not always uh, easy to hold on to, right? It's not always uh, uh, easy to choose your destiny or to to follow uh, a different path. Some of us have a steeper hill to climb than others, uh, but nevertheless, um, I think by and large, Judaism believes that we all um, are ultimately free to choose. I think that this whole, I mean, Star Wars altogether has, uh, has, has uh, brought in that theme and that idea. I mean, it's present uh, in Return of the Jedi, uh, where, uh, where 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 Vader uh, um, uh, pushes back against uh, against the dark side that has consumed his life um, uh, in order to uh, save Luke and kill the Emperor, um, and you have that in this series where you know Kylo Ren is struggling um, against the dark. Right, he's he's a, a child of the light um, that feels like the only right path for him is the dark side, and the light keeps on kind of coming through. And he's trying to fight back against it. Ray, you know, is the opposite. Ray uh, is a child of the dark um, uh, and, uh, and and has uh, uh, chosen a path of, of light. Um, but especially in this movie, you know, keeps on feeling like the darkness is is calling to her and, and threatening to overcome her. Um, and she has to learn that it's within her power um, to choose her own path. Well, you know, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel of Blessed Memory, the great 20th century theologian would often talk about the importance of polarities that you can't truly experience joy unless you experience sorrow you can't truly experience uh peace unless you've experienced war and i think it's very intentional what the star wars universe universe is doing that even palpatine says 
he when he finally saw Kylo Ren and Rey together, he re- realized that it was a dyad that you needed these two parts for ultimate power. You you needed both of them. Even Kylo Ren, when he was offering his hand to Rey in The Last Jedi, he kills Snoke and he said, let us rule the galaxy together. He wasn't saying let us rule the galaxy as Sith Lords or as Supreme Leaders, but he understood the importance of the two of them together fighting side by side. We see a sneak peek of that in the penultimate fight scene in The Last Jedi, and uh, we see that really coming to fruition in the final fight scene in The Rise of Skywalker, where Kylo Ren, who has since given up the dark side and returned to the Force to do good, ends up giving his life to save Rey's. Yes. Uh, you know, I think, I think one, of, one of the things that I, that I really liked and appreciated about The Last Jedi, though, and, and one of the things that I appreciate about, you know, some of the uh, non-feature film iterations of Star Wars, um, like, like the Clone Wars uh, animated series and Rebels, which you alluded to, uh, which, which feature, have cameos, aspects of them in, in this movie, is that, they, is that they complicate that light and dark polarity that that duality that is you know so often at the at the heart of star wars and going back and watching the prequels i actually see george lucas doing this a little bit too in in the prequels of 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 complicating you know the jedi are are uh, depicted in the original trilogy as you know all good always on the side of light the sith as all bad always on the side of evil um and in the prequels that's a little bit more complicated. The Jedi are um, are are not, uh, you know, do make decisions um, and and operate. I think in in somewhat questionable ways. You know, I mean, you see this through, just to give one example, right? They they take children from their parents when they're babies to raise them in the ways of the Force and never give them back and 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 uh, and and, uh, um, and and never give them back to their parents, right? In the same way that we see the dark side. Or the the uh, Empire and then the First Order doing that with uh, with children to make them stormtroopers. It's what happens to Finn, and and we that's explored a little bit later in, in the Rise of Skywalker. So um, there, you know, the the, um, the the universe of Star Wars actually has a lot of gray in it. That's the Last Jedi explores that um, uh, to a certain extent. You know, Finn wrestles with it um, with um, with with DJ uh, the the scoundrel played by Benicio del Toro. In the, in the Last Jedi, that you know, you know, Finn is convinced that the uh, that the Resistance is the good side and the First Order is the the bad side. But uh, uh, DJ, you know, points out that like you know uh, the the you know that uh, that on some level, you know, war it's it's all a machine, right? And they're all you know they're all just fighting. It may not necessarily be a right side, a good guy, and a bad guy, a right side or a wrong side. Um, and you know, and 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 I feel like you know this movie had this movie had an opportunity to um, uh, to to explore that a little bit more. Um, you know, and I've been I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, as I've been uh, rewatching all these uh, uh, all, all the previous movies, I've been watching The Mandalorian, and uh, and 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 uh, an idea struck me about the kind of Star Wars universe that was connected to a, a term that I believe was coined by the philosopher and journalist uh, Hannah Arendt, um, who uh, wrote a book called uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem, um, uh, a report on the banality of evil, uh, 
where she it's dispatches from uh, her journalism during the Eichmann trial in, in Jerusalem in the 1960s, um, where where she talks about um, how Eichmann was a, a fairly unremarkable person that was you know was was uh, was a sort of casual anti-Semite in the way that um, that many Germans, if not most Germans, were uh, at, at that time. Um, uh, but wasn't, you know, wasn't a necessarily a, a Nazi true believer, um, but, uh, but, you know, being saturated in a, uh, in, in a culture, uh, in which, uh, in which, you know, the narrative is, um, you know, the, the state is good, the state is right. Uh, and, uh, and to be, you know, immersed in a culture where, you know, where if you want to, you know, get ahead or if you want to make a living, um, you want to be successful. Um, you have to operate within a particular system, uh, and uh, and you end up uh, uh, making all sorts of you know uh, ethical compromises or excuses um, in order to, uh, to to take part in that system. Um, uh, she, her reflection was that that was at play in in the Eichmann story. I think that's at play in the Star Wars world too, um, where where you and you do see that a little bit of that in this in this movie uh, where you have. Um, uh, you know, a whole uh, company of stormtroopers um, uh, doing what Finn did, which is, you know, um, uh, rejecting, uh, you know, actually uh, taking this stand of profound moral resistance against the dominating culture um, at the time. But I see prevalent throughout the Star Wars universe are, uh, are, are all sorts of people that, you know, essentially collaborate or enable um, or even support the, um, the the rise of uh, of tyranny and oppression um, uh, for uh, for 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 non for totally non ideological reasons. Right? People who are not Sith true believers um, who participate in the machinery of the Empire in the First Order uh, because it is beneficial to them because it's convenient for them. Lando or vice Calrissian, versa. Or, right. or vice versa, right? You see even in uh, episode nine when it turns out General Hux, who was the second in command at this point, was the uh, spy, the First Order, who is feeding information to the Resistance. And they thank him and say, why are you doing this? And he says, I could care less if you win. I just want Kylo Ren to lose. That it was his own personal vendetta that made him turn against the dark side and the, the First Order. Nothing about the Force, nothing about the Jedi, nothing about the Resistance that encouraged him to do so. I think you're right that it's not black and white and even when the rabbis intentionally try to set up a black and white world and they introduce us to the idea of Yetzer Tov and Yetzer Ra that we each have our good inclination and our evil inclination they also acknowledge that even in a black and white world we are pushed to one side or the other for our own selfish reasons the, it says in, in Genesis Rabbah it says in Bereshi Rabbah that our one, our own similar drive, our drive that we want safety and security and health for ourselves and for our family, that is what pushes us to do wrong. They don't see the Yetzer Ra, the evil inclination, as somebody who is thinking, I want to kill a lot of people. I want to cause harm to a lot of people. I want to prey on those who are more vulnerable than I am. Rather, they see it as somebody who is in a vulnerable state and they respond with the Yetzirah, with the dark side, 
with the evil inclination in order to take care of themselves. And if you think about it, right, that's exactly what Anakin Skywalker does. Anakin Skywalker, while he wrestles with good and evil, while hating Christensen, was uh, accused as just being a uh, hormonal teenager who was fighting with his parents, right, when he's getting in this fight all the time with Obi-Wan, with Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. He ends up turning over to the dark side and to Palpatine because Palpatine promises that only if he turns over to the dark side will he be able to save Padme, uh, who's who is dying and is going to die in childbirth. He ends up not being able to save her in the end. But it's that idea and that image of why he embraces being a Sith Lord and it still tugs at him. He ends up letting go of the dark side, dying as a result. Kylo Ren lets go of the dark side and dies as a result. And it shows that it's only true selflessness that makes you embrace the Yates or Tove, that makes you embrace doing what is good and what is right. It's when Finn tries to be selfless and stop the the giant... Um, cannon that is shooting at their base on crate at the end of last jedi and rose saves his life it's when he and along with uh, i believe her name is uh, jana who he finds out who he meets on uh endor who he finds out uh, was also a stormtrooper and also like him refused to fight refused to do evil and abandoned her posts they risked their lives to destroy the main uh Starfighter Carrier at the, at the end of this film and are prepared to die before Lando saves them with the Millennium Falcon. You know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, you know, the the um, uh, the rabbis uh, do a thought exercise about the about the Yitzhar Hatov and Yitzhar Ra, the good inclination and the and the evil inclination, and they say, you know, if the evil inclination is is so bad. You know, why has God created it in the first place? And so they imagine what, what does the world look like without the evil inclination? They said, well, uh, nobody gets a job. Uh, nobody has uh, nobody has any children uh, and everybody starves to death. Right. In other words, that there is um, that that the Yitzhar Ra, insofar as it is um, uh, the inclination for ego or selfishness, um, self-servingness. Um, th- there's utility to that, um, and 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 a role that that plays in a world, which is why I was sort of disappointed that this movie could have explored more of the of the gray area. I thought that the rise of Skywalker would be um, kind of parallel to the you know to Kylo Ren having the Knights of Ren, and there would be a new Jedi and a new Sith, but they would be the Skywalker and Skywalker and Ren, and they'd be less polar extremes. You know that. Um, uh, that 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 uh, that the Skywalker order would realize that they're you know that um, that uh, that 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 the light side of the force um, is not only about unmitigated selflessness, um, but also uh, maybe in some degree of enlightened self-interest too. Um, and I think that that's actually explored a little bit in the prequels too, right? The um, uh, Anakin says to Palpatine in a pivotal scene, you know that the that the Jedi are selfless; they they only act for others, right? And um, uh, and uh, Palpatine uh, disabuses him of that notion. And I think it's I think it's true that's played out in the in the prequels that the the Jedi do act for um, egotistical and um, and and hubristic 
uh, interests um, that they don't that they don't realize. And I think that one of the things that they could have said is, listen, you know, th- there's a role that selfishness plays in in our world, in our lives. That's not necessarily bad so long as we you know, recognize it and use it for uh, for for what Judaism would say, you know, for sacred purpose. Right. So, you know, yes. Our sexual drive is a manifestation of the Yetzar Hara. It doesn't mean that we can't engage in intimacy. It just means that we use intimacy um, as a um, as a as a, uh, a, a a step toward the divine, as a way of you know, we 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 make we make that drive sacred. We make that drive holy, right? We 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 have respectful relationships with other people. Um, we elevate them in, in our, in our intimacy and we have intimacy, um, to the, you know, where it's relevant, uh, for, for procreation. Um, you know, we, we, when we eat, it's not that we stop eating, right. But we recognize the blessings of the food that we, that we get. Right. And, uh, and, and we live in gratitude of, of, of that food. Right. We, it's, it, you know, um, Friends, friends give us pleasure, right? Um, you know, Jedi are not supposed to have attachments of any uh, in any way, right? But we learned throughout the course of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy that not only is it um, not only is it impossible for human beings to live that way, um, but it's but it's actively harmful. And you know, and I think that that the Jewish tradition bears that out too. You know, Genesis says, "Lotov heyot adam levado." Right? Uh, it's not good for the human being to be alone. We're not created to be to live outside of relationships, to not have any attachments at all. That in Judaism, I think, is the path to the dark side. I think uh, that's a, a really good point. Uh, I also love the connection um, this time of year, intentional or unintentional. We're recording this right before Hanukkah. This will uh, be uh, put out for you all to listen to right after Hanukkah. Uh, But the story of Hanukkah is really a story of adding light to the darkness. And we find that light through community. We find that light through connection. And that light, that the reason why Luke Skywalker failed, the reason why Luke Skywalker couldn't continue as this Jedi master uh, is because he was alone. And there is this great connection, I think, between spreading the lights with being supported by people and by community. You can't carry on when you're fighting the fight all by yourself. We're taught when we light the Hanukkah, when we light the Hanukkah menorah, uh, to, we fulfill the mitzvah of Pirsume Nisa in Aramaic or Pirsum Hanes, of publicizing the miracle and we do that by putting the, the menorah in our windows. We're not supposed to take advantage of the candles of the menorah in any way. We're not supposed to use it to read or use the candlelight when it's dark. We put it in our windows simply to spread lights in the darkness. Uh, and I think we do so. And in doing so, we're building community as well. When we're there for each other, when we... Uh, are there for our spouses, our friends, our family members, our community members, we are letting them know that they are not alone and we are shedding light and spreading light onto them. And I think if this movie tells us anything, that big reveal at the end when they say, nobody's coming, where are all of our allies? And the only reason they're able to defeat the First Order and really this Sith army is not really the resistance able to do it. 
it's not these small remainders of the Rebel Alliance that are able to do it, but it's because they're surrounded by all of their allies and they're able to do it together. And it's only together in community with our brothers and sisters by our sides that we light up the darkness, that we spread light in this world that so desperately needs it. I think that that's a, a great message and a great place to, uh, to to leave this conversation now. But we'd love uh, for you to join in the conversation. We'd love to continue the conversation with you. So reach out to us and let us know what you thought of uh, the rise of Skywalker and uh, what uh, what your Jewish take is on, on that movie and the uh, entire Star Wars series. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast, uh, review this podcast, um, help spread the word about this podcast so we can continue having these Uh, wonderful conversations uh, on into the new year and hopefully beyond. For now, we'll leave it uh, with that. Uh, I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And may the force be with you. May the force be with you.